Welcome everybody to the Bush and Me Show, The Last Dance Recap, episodes seven and eight. We tried to call it Turning Tory, but after last week, I don't think that's gonna work anymore. Yeah, it might be Turning Bush. (laughs) (laughs) All right, a quick recap before we get into it. Uh, This was one of my favorite uh, two episodes so far. It was action-packed, it was full of emotion, and it kind of had a little did you know, because it taught me a lot of stuff that I, looking back at like what was going on that time, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. But it was it was uh, loaded with Jordan's desire to win was kind of throughout both episodes. We uh, got to see James Jordan, his relationship with Michael, and uh, ultimately his death. Uh, Jordan's first retirement, which led him to baseball. They talked about that a little bit. Uh, we got to see Scotty come up as the man. We forgot how good that team still was with Scotty in the lead, but then they showed us how Scotty gave up on the team. Um, we can get more into that later. I wrote down B.J. Armstrong, Gary Payton, and Nick Anderson, three things that motivated uh, MJ throughout this. Jordan uh, coming back with the 4-5. We got into that a little bit. 70-12, and 12, the best team ever at that point, which has been broken uh, since then. And they left us hanging with the Pacers and the Bulls, uh, one of the greatest Eastern Conference finals in 98, uh, went to seven games. Um, so we'll get into that later. Tori, we'll start with you. I know you probably didn't learn anything new about MJ. You already didn't know. But what were your initial thoughts? No, I loved the episode. I thought it was the best, too, easily. Um, when you see his passion, again, we didn't learn. I'm not going to keep dogging my guy out. But <laughs> we know what type of guy he is. But to see, you know, like the last few minutes of episode seven, to me, was powerful. To hear him break down how, you know, he never asked his teammates to do anything that he wouldn't do. And obviously, you know, he had his own way of going about it. He wanted to push everyone to that level. And obviously the way he went about it might have been the best. Because obviously people were beating around the bush about it, but they didn't feel like he was a good guy, but they knew he was a great basketball player and very competitive. I'm talking, when I mean good guy, I mean not mean off the court. I mean, you know, in, in the workplace, in the work environment, which was the standard that he set. But to watch him and to see him get emotional about it, like that's next level when it comes to being a competitor. My guy broke down in tears thinking about it. Like, he hasn't played basketball in I don't know how long now, right? And he's that passionate about it. Like, he hasn't played, I think, the Wizards. I was in seventh grade. You know what I mean? And and (laughs) he's thinking about playing again. You know, it was pretty crazy. The game just meant that much to him. Like, just like you said a second ago, Tor, every time he went on that court, how is he going to win? And he pushed his teammates to levels that they probably didn't like. They probably didn't understand, but they were the last team standing. So it was like a little give and take. They're like, I can deal with this to a certain point, but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to win. Now if you're treating your players like that and you're not winning, then it's like for what? You know, you can't just be, you know, you can't just be an asshole for no reason and we're still, you know, not making the playoffs or not making it to the finals. So Um, Just like both of you guys just said, the desire to win has been there from episode one until this episode. But to me, it just got ramped up even more, you know, after the first three championships. And then you see the way he approached baseball, which we're going to get into um, next. And then when he came back, that desire was ramped up even more. So it was uh, it it was two tremendous episodes. I think something too going back to Jordan and talking about his competitive nature. I think something that we may have all missed in talking about that is that I think he felt some type of way about people constantly attacking him. 
Like to live like that, to play like that takes a lot to hold in that emotion. And, you know, like, let's face it, everyone's human. Like you don't like when people talk about you, like you carry that weight. And the edge that he played with, it takes a lot out of you emotionally when all you, when you're only motivating, not your only, one of your biggest motivating factors is what the haters say. Like it takes a toll on you. And to see that breakdown, I think it was more than just his competitive nature. I think it's that him feeling like he's being attacked for being the kind of competitive animal that he, that he is. But he, he definitely was looking for it, though. You know, you could see him watching uh, watching what they're saying before the game in the newspaper, seeing what this person is saying. You know, for me, I know I'm, when I played, I, honestly, I didn't really like seeing it. You know what I'm saying? I didn't like – I don't like seeing what people say on social media because, you know, people can just be, you know, pieces of you-know-what at times, but I don't like seeing it in the news. I didn't, I didn't like seeing it, but to me, it was like, okay, what am I going to do to take those comments and have them minimized in the future? I'm going to become the best player that I can, but he would see that. He would go and look for it and be like, okay, I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something before this game. I'm going to get you back for saying this. It's always like he had this, uh, he had something to go prove every single, uh, every single night. And he even Funny. created it. Made up something. Right. Right. You know? right. He just made up a story in his head. Really? <laughs> like, as a competitor, man, I'm telling you, I've been in that boat where it's like people are like, oh, like, is he going to be good? Is he going to be a bust? Excuse me, whatever. Like, that stuff weighs on you. And in your mind, you're like, man, I'm going to show y'all cat. Like, you know, you ain't saying it that nicely, but you're like, I'm going to show y'all. And then when you do it, you, know, you, see, you see your haters. And it's like how Jordan's saying, like, man, look, you know the deal. Like, I am who I said I was. Right, like, and I knew I was gonna win, and you disrespect me. You didn't believe in me. Like, that takes a lot out of you emotionally as a competitor. It's funny you say that because when we were watching, and I saw the LeBradford Smith story. I didn't know who LeBradford Smith was, but there's <laughs> some guy from Louisville that scored 37 points on Jordan, and puts his arm around him, and says, "Nice game, Mike." And Mike's like, "I'm gonna get him back." And then you find out years <laughs> later. I was thinking about Tory too because we talked about this last time about creating things to get you motivated, and for them to find out years, 15, 20 years later, that he made it up. It's just classic. Um, going into his emotion, like you guys talked about, um, he, he played with high emotion throughout everything, but then you look at he lived with emotion as well. He looks at the iPad when he sees his mom reading the letter earlier in the episodes, and he gets a little teary-eyed. He cried, he almost cried, like you said, when he was talking about his uh, philosophy on winning, and he had to call for the break. And um, he got mad at that Sports Illustrated article. So we've seen all levels of emotion from him. But the part that I've loved throughout this is in the moments where most of us would lose our cool, like when they lost to the Pistons or after that game one against the Magic when he was wearing the 4-5 and he turned the ball over. And then not only did he not shoot the game winner, passed it out of bounds. Like those are moments when he could have like completely lost it. Like we saw Scotty. Scotty couldn't yeah. control his emotions and just said, I'm not playing anymore. Or Scott, when they were playing on the dream team and Scotty was talking about uh, Kukoc and he said, I don't think you're playing the NBA. And, and you see Jordan's interview and he's just like, well, I think that's uh, a little extreme. You just saw like how a guy who lived on such an emotional level, like you didn't act emotionally. It's, it's almost like he all his decisions, his cool. all his decisions were like meticulous. And he, he knew like he was a business. He was bigger than that. And he had to always be even kill. You had to, you got to carry yourself that way. You know, you're not going to try to do anything that's going to be detrimental to your name and, and acting out. You know, he was never going to act out, but he always had a reason 
to act up when he was on that court. You know, he always found that reason. But like you said, you he got you know he got tired of the Pistons beating him up and not being able to overcross that. But he didn't do what the Pistons did and, and pull that, you know, and pull that petty move of not shaking their hands. No, he always showed respect because that's honestly at the end of the day, what he had for the game was respect and then love, you know, and that's where his competition came from. I think he did a great job of not showing it. But Jordan is also the guy. You ever seen that like meme with the crying with the smiling face, but it's crying behind it? Like, <laughs> people who people who hold in that much emotion, I'm probably I'm one of those guys, I will admit. Like, you, I'm all right, I'm fine. If somebody asks you if you are, you probably be the first one breaking down. Like, that's how, that's I can how, tell you, no, I'm not all right. Yeah, like, <laughs> why you start breaking down? I mean, like, it takes a lot, man, emotionally to, to play at that level. And he consistently did it, but also learning that in a clutch moment of a game, like, Michael Jordan made a mistake. Like, who would have thought it? Like, right. I thought the guy was invincible. He was perfect. And even to see the response, the responses like from the media back then, I was like, oh, Michael Jordan is human. You know, like he had that standard and you know the weight that he carried with him to the next game and got out of that jersey quick. <laughs> 45 don't look like 23. <laughs> All right, what about baseball? Did you guys learn anything new on that aspect? I know, I thought growing up, I had to listen to everybody say, you know, they threw him right into double A because he's Michael Jordan. Why? No one else starts in double A. And then to look back and think they only did it because the media area wasn't big enough in single area yeah. rookie ball. Like I was like, oh, now it all makes sense. And I'm Bush, I was talking to you before. I didn't know that uh, Reinsdorf just paid him his basketball contract. So he was yeah. playing double A, making three mil a year. <laughs> I kind of had to double take when I saw that part. I was like, hold on, he's still getting three mil? But, you know, that right, right. there goes to show you the, the type of uh, – respect and appreciation that the Chicago Bulls organization did have for Michael Jordan because those years that he did win the three championships, he was making, what, a couple million dollars a year. He really didn't make that big life-changing money in the NBA until he did come back and he had those couple years where he made upwards of $30 million a year back in 96 and 97, which is, which is a lot of money. But, like, just to show you that the one thing I loved about his baseball was, like, everybody thought he really wasn't that good, but when you see – um, the execs and everybody who was around him saying that how much he went from here to here in a matter of a year and a half. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty cool to see. It just kind of shows you the, the kind of determination that, um, that Mike has, whether it was basketball or baseball. I mean, he wasn't, this wasn't a Tim Tebow story. I mean, he was an athlete and the seat of response to everything I heard growing up was that he was garbage. And right. right. That's what I'm saying. Like every, everybody said he wasn't good. He was a uh, he was he was solid, you know. He obviously a baseball player would say he wasn't good, right? Because someone came into your sport and jumped into double A, I'd be mad. Some guy spending their entire life trying to get to double A. <laughs> but he went in and he did well. You could continue to see improvement, which is what happens in any and every league. As you show improvement, you had the opportunity to move up. And with time or even with age, you know, you think he would have been all right. It's funny growing up too. I heard that he was garbage. But also heard that he was taking someone's spot. Why would he do this? He's taking someone's job. But you don't see all the extra jobs he created throughout that. Like, they needed more media oh, there. They needed – Terry Francona was the manager there. He's a World mm. Series winning manager for the Indians and the Red Sox. Like, he would have never – I'm not going to say never, but it propelled him a lot faster with all those scouts there watching Jordan. So, it was good to see that part, too. 
we got to get into Scotty giving up as two uh, two ex athletes. I can say now both retired. Looking at Scotty, the play was called. It wasn't called for him. He's supposed to be the leader now. Jordan's gone. How uh, how would that make you guys feel as a teammate? I just I thought it was a very selfish move on Scotty's part. I know we're we're in the heat of we're. I can take myself back to, you know, the heat of a battle, the heat of a game, and and, and somebody's like, Tori, get in. We need you for this play. And you're like, nah, I'm good. Like, we would all be looking down like, nah, that's, that's just not what you do in a team setting because I know from – I can only speak for myself, but, you know, when I'm in that team setting, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure I'm not letting my teammates down. Now, your number wasn't called right there, Scotty, so – but you still are a big presence on that team. Now, what if he? What if the Bulls? What if Tony Kukoc would have missed that shot, and they wouldn't have won that game? Then it would have been much more of an issue. But Tony Kukoc bailed Scottie Pippen out, in my opinion. You know, because they were able to let it go, sweep it under the rug, because they ended up winning the game. But if they would have lost, that would have been a, a huge stain to Scottie's reputation. It would have created division, more division, you're right. Yeah. I think as a competitor, obviously it hurts to see a teammate really essentially just quit on you. But to his defense, when you feel like you're the guy and you earn that right, Phil wouldn't have drew up a play and said, hey, Scotty, this play is for you. Like, nah, bro, this is going to Jordan. We're trying to get to him your option B. Like, he didn't have the opportunity to be the guy, and it was his year. He had been waiting for that. He had earned it, and he played at an MVP level all year, and he doesn't get first days at it. You know, I, I feel him on the disrespect. It was just something he couldn't handle emotionally. And yeah. i kind of been that – I'm not going to say I've been all the way in that situation, but I've had a time where, you know, as a receiver, sometimes you rotate, uh, like, you know, throughout the game to try to stay fresh at the end. And I remember one time, it was the fourth quarter, our coach took me out for a second. We're down. I'm like, I look like – I got out, you know, I wouldn't go, you know, disrespect him. But I just looked at him, I'm like, bro, it's the fourth quarter. Like, it's crunch time. Like, you better get me back in. You know what I'm saying? And I was out for a couple of days and I went back in. But it, I felt in my heart, like, bro, you just took me out. They're like, I just thought of all, you have literally flashes of <laughs> memories. I'm like, like, bro, like, I've messed up a million and one times in my career, but I can ch- show you a million and one in crunch time where, like, I've held it down and I've got it done, like, period. And so when you feel like as a competitor, like, you're removed from that and it's basically a coach's decision, like, it bothers you. But you never quit. (laughs) Can't can't quit. We got to get into LeBron versus uh, Jordan here because it's a lot of things uh, going around the internet with uh, Jordan laughing at LeBron saying he's the best. Um, We did did start this trying to get Tory to come up to Jordan but I'm not going to lie to you. I did listen to your latest podcast with Adam Jones and it kind of brought LeBron up a little bit for me. I didn't want to, I didn't know if I was going to tell you this or not. Uh, if you guys aren't, if you guys aren't listening to Trendy Thoughts. With You're Jordan, only supposed to be converting him, not both of us. We've already <laughs> talked about this. I know you need, you need to check it out if you haven't listened, because every week I listen, it gets better and better. The Ed Reed one was very relatable for everybody out there. And the Adam Jones one, just to hear his voice, because he's over in Japan now and you're like, oh, what's he up to? But you guys get into uh, community service, you know, you get into the quarantine, you get into uh, race in America right now. It's all very relatable. And if you guys aren't listening, get out there and listen to it because you can learn a thing or two. But the, the reason I brought it up is because 
you try to formulate a question to him about Jordan kind of having responsibility, being a, being an athlete, and he kind of cut you off and was like, I was like, I started turning it up when I heard him say, I've seen your tweets out there with, uh, you think LeBron's the GOAT. So I turned it up a little bit and I was listening to him, but he made a great point for both point of views where Jordan wasn't around in uh, social media. He was pre-social media. So the only time Jordan was required really to say anything was when the microphone was in his face. He didn't have the ability to sit there and, you know, just send a tweet out or anything like that. And also that we held him at a higher level of accountability than we did Magic, Isaiah, which I thought those were two very good points. But the other other great point that he mentioned was LeBron. LeBron has used his uh, platform to to help everyone else. And um, not only that, but I mean, he, he brought me to think that, you know, LeBron called the president a dummy. Who else could call the president a dummy? Right? Okay. <laughs> oh, a bum. He was a bum. It's crazy to like, and I, I agree with him. I thought it was interesting to hear that, but then I hear Adam speak about that. And I think of, I believe Rodney King was in 94. We're talking about prime Jordan here. Back then, I mean, Ali was still before, way before Jordan, and he had opportunity. We all knew what he stood for. So I think it is a, a great argument that there are other big guys by him who don't get pressured by it because of who they were. But, again, when you're that figure, and we talked about it, and you're from North Carolina, you know, yeah. Uh, area that was desegregated south like you know and it's like when you had the opportunity to be a voice but i do respect people doing things their way like it's you're not obligated to do it right even though it I just may, makes i may feel like you are because like man i look up to you like you're me like i feel like i can be like you and i feel like you care about me but when you dismiss certain things and i feel like it's dismissing certain things when you act like you can't relate to it when you come from it um, but everyone has their own way of, of being better. Like I said, we talked about it, the, the show before last, I mean, he right. gave money, right? He gave money, he was quiet, but sometimes you have power to do more just by your voice and your presence. Disappointing, but I'm glad you're coming over to the LeBron side. <laughs> I, I, I don't it. know. We're, we're, we're there. Like, look, you know, MJ's here, but LeBron is just, you know, if he builds one more school, <laughs> goddamn, he's going to be, you know, he might, he might take the <laughs> You know, but uh, LeBron has done, he's been a tremendous force in the community. And, you know, we're very fortunate to have uh, a leader like that now in the NBA because what it does is it's a trickle down effect, you know, because once LeBron says it, it's like, okay, well, some of the other guys will, will look at LeBron like, well, he's doing it. He's doing the right thing. So I'll continue to fall in line and I'll, and I'll speak up and I'll do things that, um, that can help my community out or something that I'm passionate about. So, you know, it, it's, it's hats off. Like you were saying, we are in two different eras when it comes to media and, and, and you know, you being an individual and getting your message out. Could he have gone a different way? Of course he has, but I know he did help out, but it, it makes you feel good when somebody who looks like you wants to see you and they, and they wants to see you do better or your people do better and they actually say something about it as well. When I heard when I heard Adam starting that and I was turning the radio up, I was thought he was gonna go at you about LeBron and ended up changing me. So <laughs> the other thing the other part that he caught me with, not to get off topic, but when we took you guys were talking about Freddie Gray and he was talking about, you know, was he a saint? No, but was he a human being? Yes. And that I was literally driving and gave me chills. So if you guys aren't listening to it, you need to you need to chime in. Listen to it. 
Bush, Bush, you need to listen to it. He gave you a little shout out in there too. I listened to it. I listened to it. I had, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it tomorrow. I had a little bit of a busy day. I think this is my third or fourth Zoom for the day, but I'm gonna get into it uh, tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, did you do all I, of them without I, a hat? I, I, I did. I did. You know, I feel good about my hair right now. Maybe you just can't see how you know how it really looks, but it don't look too bad right now. So stop judging. <laughs> But look, I did want to ask you guys about this. In in the one finals after his dad passed, when I was looking at it, I felt kind of like, did MJ drop those couple games on purpose so he could win that win the finals on Father's Day? You know, because he never gave Gary Payton the explanation. He was like, I had other things on my mind. He didn't say what them other things was. But I, you know, I think he might have looked at that schedule and be like, you know what? I might let them squeak these two off. I'm going to win this last one for my dad. No. I don't know. That was just a <laughs> <laughs> no sense. Tori's like, know. I'm gonna let you finish. I'm gonna let you finish. He's petty, but I don't know if he's that. You know, that is one conspiracy theory that is not <laughs> losing, not trying hard enough. No. <laughs> I think right, the other things on his going. mind. The, the other things on his mind may have been winning without his father and while he was thinking that maybe they got a couple extra baskets but there's no way a guy like that says i'm gonna lose this he didn't even let them lose in 85 maybe he didn't try as hard you know maybe maybe gave 98 percent, not 100 i don't know but i thought it'd be something funny to bring up <laughs> it's funny i thought about that for a second too though i was like did he father's to. day like who could write yeah, that story did. i was like hmm, what do you do this on purpose no <laughs> Um, All right, two two more episodes left. Is there anything else you guys are waiting to see? Honestly, I just I, I wish they would um extend it. You know, I wish they would extend it a <laughs> few more episodes. I mean, it's been it's been such a treat to watch because when I'm looking at it, I uh, it literally takes me back to my you know to my childhood because I can remember these finals. I can remember so much stuff. Looking back at it now, and it's just. And I and I watch the TV and I'm and I'm my eyes are glued to it like I'm like I'm a child like I like I'm just like showing all of it and then to see the background of it and, and everything that was going on behind the scenes yeah some good some bad but I'm just appreciative of of all of, of of the whole story of the whole dynasty because if you peel back layers to any dynasty you're gonna find some some similarities in my opinion but I just I'm looking forward to the last two. I feel the same way. I'm looking forward to it. And even looking past that, I'm looking forward to where they take whoever did this documentary. I need to see what's next. Because right. like what way, else you got cooking? Yeah, like the way they told this story, man, there's been so many teams throughout different sports. So it could be Olympics, it could be anything, man, to really go inside to see what's going on, see their mindsets. Like, I mean, there's so many I think about think about the Showtime Lakers. I mean there are so many groups and teams that are out there that we think we know about. Like, we all thought we knew about the Bulls, but <laughs> we knew nothing compared we to nothing. that mindset. Like, so I'm looking forward to seeing what's next and then wrapping this up because they let a good thing go to waste. You know, yeah. I, I had to see the final details, you know, to see how they wrap it up. And, you know, maybe they'll give some credit to the GM somewhere. Because right, right now, you know, rest in peace to him, but he's getting ripped. Ripped. He really is. There's no, there's no positivity coming from uh, none of the players. None of the players. This family has to feel like 
Oh, yeah, they got to be pissed. Terrible. But when you look at his interviews, it's exactly what everyone's saying. Now, I am mature enough to know that clips can make you sound different, but you know, when you win a championship and, and you're talking about the organization, it's the team, it's the organization. Like, bro, just celebrate and go. Like, right, right. Like, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy, but I, I hope that's something I am looking forward to. Hopefully they give him some light because right now my guy has been fired up the entire time. Right. Well, but gotta, two things that I just props. I remember episode, after episode one and two, Bush, you're over there saying, what else do they have left to show us? And now we're at episode <laughs> right. eight. And you're like, I don't want this to end. I don't want it to end. Give us 11 and 12, please. That you one. Know. And Tori, the producer, Jason Heyer, is a friend of a friend. So maybe we'll have to get him to come on and we can uh, we can see what he's got in store. So we'll have to see, man. See. They're killing it. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, to learn seriously. Like, I, I have my son watching it. You know, my wife has been watching it. Like, I mean, everyone, you just learn it's something different. And, you know, to watch one of the greatest athletes and greatest figures of all time work, it's, it's been a different experience, man. And it's honestly made me question myself. <laughs> like, how could well, like, damn, like, damn, could I work a little bit harder? Like, could I, could <laughs> I, I you know? I saying I was a hard worker. I'm like, dang, did right. I even work? You know? <laughs> right. But sometimes you got you to gotta put that into perspective, too, because, like, that football work and that basketball work is a little is a, is a little bit different now. It's two different worlds, but I, I I can see what you're saying though. You do kind of like you look at you look at Jordan and how great how he treated the game. You're like shit. Like I, I could have did like forty or fifty more pass sets after after my after my post practice pass set. You know what I'm saying? Like I could have I could have went and did more. I could have got five lifts during the week during the season instead of four. You know what I'm saying? Like I could have and not be able to move. You know, exactly exactly <laughs> so you know I, I think i think you know obviously you play what you got nine years in 12 and, and everybody else you, you you run your own race and you have your mindset but he had this mindset when he was a child like he was a kid and around his brothers and his fathers his fathers pushed him you know it all depends on your background and where you come from he, that that right there was instilled in him when he was just uh when he was knee high probably yeah like little man syndrome Seriously. But he wasn't little. <laughs> he wasn't little. Right. Yeah, he felt like the underdog, like everything was, you know, about what he couldn't do. And it worked for him. You know, the one thing you have to say is, no matter how hard he was on his teammates, and they probably hated him during that time, um, they all said they he, he pushed them to where they needed to be. And you see a lot of coaches like that. Like, I remember Jimmy Johnson saying he hated being the coach of the Cowboys because he had to be – this tyrant that they hated because it would make them come together. So in times when they needed each other on the field, you know, they used him like, oh, we hate the coach. Da, 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 da. But they all thank him later. And you're seeing yeah. that now in these interviews with all the other players. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, especially in, in the league in the NFL, it's like you you have to you have to take a certain mindset to players because you gotta manage 53 plus guys. You know what I'm saying? So like it has to be your standard. You know, you have to have a standard of excellence. You can't uh, be a player's coach too early. You have to kind of earn that, you know, with, with your track record. So uh, that's how I felt with Sean Payton. I went back I went back to playing New Orleans in 2018, and I didn't recognize the Sean Payton that I got drafted by uh, in 2007. And the six years I spent there, it was a totally different person, but you understood his track record and the leadership that they had in place. So if you didn't fall in line, your ass was – See ya, gone.
See ya. Mm-hmm. It's like Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson cut somebody from falling asleep in a meeting. And he said, what if Troy Aikman would have fell asleep? And he said, I'd have woke his ass up. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Falling asleep you're, in a meeting, Dale. Your track Teams record gets you to it. who they see is expendable. It's all like, oh, man. <laughs> I remember, look, I remember I got a story for that rookie camp. There was a dude we, that, we, that we signed. This D, this D tackle was about 6'5", like 340. This kid could do backflips. I was training with him in Philly. And he didn't get drafted because he was a real small school guy, got in some trouble, whatever. The Saints ended up bringing him in. Man, this dude could barely make it through pre-practice. So, you know, you got, tour, you know, we got walk-through. We got pre-practice, walk-through, stretch. Shit, after stretch, he was dog tired. Like, he had the trainers over there by him. But he lasted for 30 minutes of a practice. Peace. Cold world. Cold world. <laughs> all right well we got two more episodes left can't wait for them we got some carl malone and john stockton coming up some reggie miller i think that reggie miller series is gonna be great i remember seven games yeah. i'm excited for that we'll be back for one more of these right tory we'll same time next week same time same place all right guys we'll see you next week thanks for joining